0: The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, July 5th, 2020, on the basis of Matthew 10, verses 34 through 42. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit GoodnewsLC.org. Thank you for listening. There's a British college professor by the name of Stafford Bear, who is credited with being the first one. To articulate a very important life principle. That important life principle is known as posiwid. 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 I'm not sure exactly how you pronounce that, but I do know what it stands for. It stands for the purpose of a system is what it does. In other words, a, a person can claim that something is designed to do one thing. They can claim that its intent is to do this or to do that. They can even claim that some of the other things that it does are just side effects, just unintended consequences. But at the end of the day, the, the purpose of a thing is whatever it is that that thing actually does. I heard this principle mentioned in an interview I was listening to recently. The interview was all about the recent turmoil and unrest that we've seen going on in our country. And yet the reason it caught my attention had nothing to do with that. It had everything to do with the words from Matthew that I knew we were going to be looking at today. You see, in these verses, Jesus says some pretty challenging things to us. In fact, he says some things that don't sound an awful lot like Jesus. Jesus says that he came to this earth not to bring peace, but to bring a sword. He came to cut us off, so to speak. He came to divide us from anyone or anything that could come between us and him. And that makes perfect sense if we are thinking about the type of thing that we heard about in today's first reading. We would expect Jesus to want to divide us from something that is as obviously evil as bowing down and worshiping a calf made out of gold. But in these verses, Jesus talks about very different things. He talks about very different people, in fact. Jesus says that he wants to divide us from people within our own families and the members of our own household. So as I was listening to different authors talking about these verses, I noticed that a lot of them sort of tried to explain them by saying, Well, this division that Jesus talks about isn't really his intention. This isn't the the purpose for which he came to this world. It's kind of just an unintended consequence that unfortunately sometimes happens. So maybe you can see why Stafford Bear's principle caught my attention. According to that principle, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter whether it's Jesus' intent to bring division. Jesus causes division, and the purpose of a thing is whatever that thing happens to actually do. Now, I don't know if that principle has any validity to it or not. That's not really the point. And yet, as I looked at these verses more closely, I realized that, yes, the the division that Jesus talks about in these verses is not just some incidental or accidental side effect of the work that he came to do. It's not something that, well, we might experience as followers of Jesus, but hopefully, cross your fingers, hopefully we can avoid it. No, instead, it's a very necessary and very inevitable part of the work that Jesus came to do, work that he, of course, came to do for us. Which means that if we follow Jesus, we should expect to see this type of division in our own lives as well. As we look at these verses from Matthew chapter 10 this morning, we're going to see that the division Jesus talks about is no accident. Instead, we're going to see that Jesus causes division by design. So like I said, some challenging things that Jesus says in these verses, that he would turn parents against children and spouses against each other, that he would create enemies within our own households, And so thankfully, after saying those things in sort of that challenging and confrontational way, Jesus goes on to make it crystal clear exactly what he means. And he says this, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So really what Jesus is saying in these verses is really nothing different than what God's first and greatest commandment says. You shall have no other gods. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. In other words, the Lord, the one true God, comes first and everything else comes after. But now why would Jesus go ahead and single out people like our spouses, people like parents and children? Well, for one our love for God is really put to the test most when it comes to the things that are nearest and dearest to our hearts. I mean, imagine if Jesus said, I want you to love me more than you love mowing the lawn when it's 90 degrees outside. And I want you to love me more than you love wearing a mask everywhere that you go and social distancing so that you slow down the spread of some virus. We'd probably say, well, sure, that sounds good. That's, that's easy. But love me, God says, more than you love your spouse, more than you love Your children? Jesus knows that we are tempted to put those people ahead of him. He also knows why. When Jesus brings up fathers and mothers, parents and children in these verses, he's actually quoting from the book of the prophet Micah. In order for us to understand Jesus' point, we need to understand a little bit of the the context found in Micah. This quotation that Jesus refers to in that section of the book of Micah Micah is looking for something. He is looking for righteousness. He is looking for someone, anyone, who can be the type of person that God created and intended us to be. And yet, no matter where Micah looks, even when he looks among the members of his own family and within his own household, he cannot find that righteousness. And so he concludes at the end of this section that that righteousness must come from God see, Jesus knows that we don't simply love the things that we love for no good reason. We don't love the members of our families just because they happen to look like us a little bit. Wives, you don't love your husbands because they are always perfect Prince Charmings. Parents, you don't love your children because they are always perfect little angels. No, instead, we love the things that we love because, like Micah, we are seeking Righteousness. We are on a mission to find something that by nature is missing in our lives. We are looking to find that confidence, that certainty that we are the type of people that God has created and intends for us to be. And so we love the things that we love in large part because we are convinced that those things or those people can give us that confidence, they can make us feel complete. And whole and enough. And now that very same love that causes us to cling to certain things because we think we will get our righteousness from them also then cuts us off from and divides us from things that cannot deliver that righteousness even though we might otherwise sort of love them. For example, you might love ice cream. You might love sitting on the couch in the comfort of your air-conditioned home you might love binge-watching your favorite series on Netflix for hours and hours on end. But if you find your righteousness in your appearance, if you find your sense of being enough and always being fit and fashionable and being in shape, then at least every now and then, at least to some degree, you're going to put the ice cream back in the freezer. You're going to turn the TV off. You're going to get up from the couch, and you're going to get... Some exercise, the very love that causes you to search for your righteousness in your appearance also divides you from things that stand in the way of that thing that you love even more. So why would Jesus demand that we love him above all things, even more than things and people that we would otherwise love very much? Well, it's because he knows, like Micah found out, that he and he alone can be the source of the righteousness that we seek. In fact, that's the whole reason Jesus came into this world, to earn and to deliver to us that righteousness that we seek. He knows that as much as our spouses and our children are wonderful blessings from God, they cannot be the source of our righteousness, which means that as much as we might love and cherish and honor them, we don't love them more than we love. God. It might be tempting for us to think that that the closest bond that can possibly exist between two people is a bond of blood, the bond that makes us family. It's actually not the closest bond that can exist between people. Instead, it's the bond that exists between someone who is seeking righteousness and the person who can provide it. And that's the bond, between us and our family members. If we're looking for our righteousness from them, that's the bond that Jesus wants to take that sword that he came to bring and and cut and divide. That's the bond that he wants us to have only with him. So yes, Jesus causes division very much by design. Because he claims to be the source of our righteousness, he also commands that we love him above all things. Because he came to do what he came to do He then demands what he demands. Now realize what that means as we spend a little bit of time reflecting on whether or not we actually do what Jesus demands. I'm guessing it doesn't take you any longer than it takes me to come up with examples in your life of when other things and other people have come ahead of God, ahead of spending time with him, ahead of listening to what he has to say in his word, ahead of speaking to him as we spend time with him in prayer, ahead of serving him and not ourselves with our lives, ahead of praising him with our words. That first and greatest commandment that God gives us is also the toughest and most impossible one for us to keep. And with these words, Jesus sheds some very important light on why that is. See, we love the things that we love because we are convinced that they can be the source of our righteousness. And so anytime we put anything or anyone ahead of God, it's because we are convinced that our righteousness can come from that thing or that person better than it can come from God. Maybe it's our our resume and our career. Maybe it's our salary or our earthly possessions. Maybe it's the number of friends that we have or the opinion that those friends have of us. Maybe it's The college that we go to or the college that our kids grow up to go to. Maybe it's the number of points that we score in the game or the number of points that our kids score in the game. Whatever the case might be, anytime we put anyone or anything ahead of God, it indicates that we have convinced ourselves that we can find our righteousness, our sense of enoughness in that thing or that person better than we can find it in God. And as absurd as that sounds, there's actually a very simple explanation for it. You see, wherever we might look to find our righteousness, attaining it, attaining that righteousness, will always depend on our performance. If you're going to find it in your resume, you kind of need to have a good resume. If you're going to find it in your salary, you need to have a pretty good salary. If you're going to find it in your friends, you need a lot of friends. If you're going to find it in romance or in parenting, you need to be good at those things. Wherever you might be looking, You need to work, and you need to hustle, and you need to to sweat, and you need to achieve. and, And to some degree, you need to actually succeed in order for you to have what you are seeking. But notice what Jesus says about the righteousness that he offers. He says, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Did you catch the words that Jesus kept using over and over again? They weren't words like work or earn or perform. They were the words, welcome and receive. Remember the context of of these verses. Jesus is about to send out his 12 disciples for one specific mission, to go throughout Israel and to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And here Jesus promises that anyone, anyone at all, who welcomes that message, who hears that message and trusts in that good news, actually welcomes and receives Jesus and therefore also receives the reward that Jesus came to bring. No matter where else we might look for our righteousness, it's a righteousness that needs to be earned. The righteousness that Jesus offers is one that he freely gives. And so why does Jesus make this exclusive and uncompromising demand? Well, we might think of it this way. Imagine that it's not you who's feeling a little bit empty, like you're not quite enough. Imagine it's your car's gas tank. It's completely empty, completely bone dry. As you well know, you have a number of different options to remedy that situation. You could go to Quick Trip. You could go to Cenex. You could go to Exxon. You could go to Shell. And even once you've picked your gas station, you still have options, 87 octane, 89, 91, really any of those options will do the job, right? You put any one of those products from any one of those places into your gas tank and it will work. You'll be able to drive another couple hundred miles before you need to fill it up again. But what if your car runs on diesel? Diesel is not just one more option that you can pick from. Diesel is completely incompatible with an engine that runs on conventional gasoline. You're not just free to pick one or the other. Well, in the very same way, we could really look for our righteousness anywhere that we want. Job, salary, parenting, friends, whatever the case might be. Any of them will do the trick as long as, as long as we perform. As long as we work and sweat and hustle and at least to some degree succeed. But the righteousness that Jesus offers is completely incompatible with any of those. It's, it's mutually exclusive with a righteousness that needs to be earned. It's a righteousness that depends not on our performance, but instead depends on his. So which do you think is the better route? Which of those pursuits is actually going to be successful? Is it fair to say that I don't need to spend a lot of time convincing you that a righteousness that is based on our performance will always remain elusive. That no matter how much and for how many years you've been working and sweating and hustling and and maybe even to a large degree succeeding, that complete sense of confidence that you are enough, that you are complete, that your life is perfectly whole, somehow still agonizingly and perpetually remains just out of reach. But what about the righteousness that Jesus offers completely free of charge? Well, when Jesus spoke these words, that's all they were. They were just words. Big words, yes. Bold words, yes. But still just words. Well, eventually the time would come when Jesus would do everything that needed to be done in order for these words to become reality. He would finish living that ideal life, that that perfect life that God intended for all of us to live. He would pay every last penny of the penalty that you and I deserve to pay with his death on the cross. And then three days later, he would rise from the grave to demonstrate that our sins had been paid for and that he had set us free from death and from Satan. Jesus did everything that needed to be done in order to prove and in order for his Father to publicly confirm that, yes, he has, in fact, earned, and, yes, he can, in fact, deliver that righteousness that we so desperately seek in Jesus, through faith in him, that righteousness that we need is ours. And not only that, but if you're tempted to think that maybe that this division that Jesus brings is somehow going to to ruin your earthly relationships... Believe it or not, the opposite is actually true. One of the best things that you can possibly do for your spouse, one of the best things that you can possibly do for your children is to not make them the source of your righteousness, to not put that burden on their shoulders, to not crush them under the weight of those expectations. You want an easy trick that solves a lot of problems that are found in a lot of earthly relationships. Stop looking for your righteousness in other people. And so, yes, Jesus very much causes division by design. He wants us to love him above all things. As a result, he divides us from anyone or anything else where we might look for righteousness instead. And yes, at times that division will be as difficult and as painful as Jesus makes it sound. But here's the good news we don't have to do it blind. We aren't taking some sort of risk or some leap of faith in trusting that our righteousness will come from Jesus and, and maybe, just maybe, we won't be disappointed. No, Jesus has already lived. He has already died and he has already risen. He has already done everything that he came to do. And because he has done what he has done, he also deserves everything he demands. Amen.